I wonder this morning what it is that's going through your mind as we've assembled here to worship the Lord. I wonder what it is that comes to your mind when you look at me and think of me and question what it is I'm going to say to you this morning. I wonder about the observations you have of me, what thoughts, what feelings, what perceptions. All of them fold into one central fact, and that is this. What you think or believe about me determines the credibility you give to me. Or what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. You see, all of our relationships are based on one simple word. And that word is perception. Because how we see a person, a place, or a thing depends on how we relate to that person, place, or thing. No more significant effect than this is what we think or believe or how we see God depends on what we tell to God in prayer about. Let me say that again. However you see God depends on the things you take to God in prayer. Whatever you think of me depends on how open you're going to be with me, how trusting you are of me, how careful you think about me, the kinds of words you use to describe me. You see, all of that goes in to your perception about me. And that is also true of how we see God. If we see God as a limited being, if we see God as someone who is removed far from us, who is not involved with us, who simply spun the world off into space and then has gone about his own business, what reason is there to go to him in prayer or even to think about him or to be concerned about him? So again, I say to you this morning, is it what you think about God, how you see God, how you believe in God depends on what do you go to God with in prayer. Let me offer some thoughts to you this morning about what we need to believe about God. And I say that because so often we look at God in such esoteric terms. It seems as though our systematic theologians have removed him from a place in our lives. We speak of the omnipotence of God and the omniscience of God the omnipresence of God and all those high and lofty words. But when we look in the New Testament, we find a picture of God that is so far removed from that. First thing I want you to realize this morning is that God is a person. How very important is that? And if you look with me in your Bibles... 
to John chapter 14. Jesus was with his disciples. And one of them, Philip, said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can we say, Show me the Father? Do you not believe that I am and the Father are one? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me, his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the words themselves. So here is Philip, who's been with Jesus for this period of time. And he says, you know, I want to see God. I want to see the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And I submit to you this morning that if you walk through the words of Jesus, and if you hear the message that he proclaims, and if you listen to what he has to say, you have seen the Father, and the Father is with him and will be with you. So today we have his words, and we see his words, and he hear, hear his words, but we also see him in the lives of others, do we not? We see the transforming grace of God in the lives of those who have been radically changed, who have moved from darkness to light, who have moved from evil to good. You see, God is a person, and he does things in and through persons. And if we look carefully, we see him in the life of Jesus, surely. But we also see him in the lives of others. So it is important for me to believe that God is a person. He's not an abstract force. He is a person, even as you and I are persons. And then the second thing I want you to realize about God is that he is present. You see, he is with us. He is involved in our world. We see him at work in the forces that go on round about us. And if you turn to Acts 17, verse 27, we are reminded of some very, very important works. We see where the author said this, this they should see and should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. So not only is God a person, but in God, we find he is present with us. We see him at work in acts of reconciliation. We see good coming out of evil and again, light out of darkness. I remember when I was a Navy chaplain, I had a difficult time reconciling the ravages of war with the mercy and the grace and the love of God. And there were many days when I would stand at the door to the ward that I had to visit. And I would look up and down the 
rows of beds, and I would see these young Marines who had suffered so, who had been damaged so, whose bodies were not what they once were, who were struggling to survive. And I would open the door and I'd look at the doctors and the nurses and I would say, why this God? What's going on here? And I confess that there were days when I would close the door and walk away and go back to my office and ponder what a mess I had just seen. And one day I was talking with a fellow chaplain. And I said, John, I don't understand this. I don't understand all this mess we deal with day after day. Shattered lives and dreams and hopes. Lives that cannot be mended. And he said to me, Larry, he said, you know, I often think of that also. He said, but do you know on that ward and in this hospital, we have people who do not recognize God but are doing his work. And I said, what do you mean, John? And he said, those doctors, those nurses, those corpsmen, those technicians, whoever they are, that are trying to bring hope and healing are doing just what Jesus did. And he is present in their lives doing the work that he started. What a powerful thought that is, that people who don't recognize God at times are actually doing his work, bringing his hope, bringing his healing, bringing his justice. What a powerful God we have. So he is personal, he is present, and he is also powerful. If you recall the words that John opened his gospel with, he said something like this, in the beginning was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and not anything that is created was created without him. Now, when you talk of power, can you imagine the extravagant power that was demonstrated through the words of God? He simply spoke, and it was. And there is nothing different today than there was at the creation of the universe. If God could speak those words and bring everything into existence, and if he is permanent and personal and powerful, what is it that is beyond his scope that we cannot take to him in prayer? If there is anything that is on our hearts, that is in our minds, that comes to life within us, it is not beyond his power when you come to grips with the fact that here is a creator who is a redeemer, who is a reconciler, who cares about you and me. All of that power is our disposal. But yet we somehow do not have faith enough to believe in him to do whatever it is he lays on our heart. And then perhaps the final word is one we need to grapple with most of all. It's the word persuadable. You see, I can believe that God is a person and that he's present and that he's powerful. But if I do not believe that God is open to changing the events of history, then why should I pray? 
Why bother to ask for anything if we believe God is not going to hear anything? Do you remember the words of Jesus? He said, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Was he playing a joke on us? I can't believe that. Why would he say a thing like that? He came to redeem us, to reconcile us, to put us in a right relationship with his father and to teach us how we need to behave, how we need to look at God, how we need to plead with God, how we need to go to God in prayer. You see, but I must believe that God is open to the plea of my heart, to the problems in my mind, to the situations I face every day in life. And if I'm not willing to believe that he can do what is in agreement with his will, then there's something wrong in my relationship with God. So you see, God is present, he's a person, he's powerful, and he's persuadable. But there's another part of my relationship with God and how I see him, and that's how I see myself. Not often do we stand back and look at ourselves and see ourselves as God sees us. I know that very often we stop and talk about our unworthiness. And yet by the same token, I wonder if we talk about our inabilities. You know, God wants us to recognize that we need to depend on him. I take great pleasure and have often very soundly rebuked when I think that I can do things in my own power. I don't know how many times I've gone off doing my own thing and making such a mess of it because I first did not go to God and say, what I'm about to do, I cannot do without you. So often we look at ourselves and we say those words that without him, I can do nothing, but we rarely truly believe those words. You know, our actions speak much louder than our words. But I need to look at God and see see that he is infinite and that I am finite. I need to see that I am created and he is the creator. I need to recognize that I am limited and he is unlimited. I need to recognize that he is eternal and I am temporary. I need to see that I am incomplete and he is complete. I have to recognize that he has wisdom and my knowledge is limited. And when I recognize all of those things, I begin to see the world in a different light. I begin to see the world differently. And I begin to see my need for him more dramatically. You see, as long as I exalt myself and take the skills that God has given me, and think that I can use them for my purposes and not his, I'm in deep trouble. You see, whatever God has given me is a gift, and I need to offer it back to him in praise and thanksgiving. And it begins when I recognize my complete, my utter, 
my thorough dependence on him. When I woke up this morning and I opened my eyes and I heard sounds and I saw a light, that was a gift from God. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't choose to wake up that way. God empowered me to wake up. And God empowers me to take every step that I take. He gives me every thought that runs across my brain. Every beat of my heart. It all comes from God. And when I come to completely recognize that and understand that and am willing to admit that, then I can begin to develop a relationship with God and I can say, truly, he is sovereign. But until I recognize that he is adequate and I am inadequate, until I realize he is powerful and I am not all-powerful, what need do I have of him after all? I can do it all by myself. What a foolish thought. Well, how do we get these two things together? The greatness of God and our own inadequacies. I truly believe that in the disciples' prayer, we find some very, very powerful answers. You know, for so many years, I looked at the words of Jesus in Matthew as the Lord's Prayer. And then one day I was reading Luke's Gospel. And Luke said, one of his disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. There's a very, very strong message locked up in those few words. And the message is this. The prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to prayer was a prayer for disciples of Jesus. That prayer was not open to the world, was it? That prayer was given by Jesus to his disciples. And he said, when you pray, he didn't say when everybody prays, did he? No, he said, but when you pray, here's the outline I want you to follow. Isn't that a remarkable thought? That sets us apart, doesn't it? Jesus put some boundaries around that prayer. He said, these are those who can enter into a prayerful relationship with me and ask for things that others may not ask for. I find that rather significant. Jesus holds us up in such a high status that he says, this is for you. And I love the words that he began this prayer with. Two simple words, our Father. Can it get any more basic than that? Really? He didn't say a father or some father or the father or your father. No. He said our father. What a blessed thought that is. He said those of you who are with me now have the same father that I have. Can you imagine the power and the strength of that statement, of those two words? 
Jesus was binding himself with those disciples. And he said, our father. And when you look at that group of ruffins, you know, probably some were unemployed. Some may have been a manager. Some may have been fishermen. Or, we don't know, really. But we know that Jesus said, you and I are in this together. We have the same DNA. How remarkable is that? One was his son from heaven. The other would be adopted through the son. It didn't matter. Jesus said, our origin is irrelevant. It is our relationship with our father in heaven that matters most. Can you hear anything more beautiful than that? A common group of people with an uncommon man united through the power of a God who loved us and gave his son for us. But then when you step back and say, okay, our father, what does Jesus imply when he used the word father? And I think there's some dramatic thoughts here as well. When Jesus used the word father, he entered into the mind and the lives of those who were with him that day. And at that time in history, the father was completely responsible for the child. It didn't matter what the father did, where the father was. What mattered was that every need that the child had was the responsibility of the father for food, for clothing, for shelter, for physical and emotional development. Now, there's something here that's really interesting. When Jesus used the word father, they recognized in his words that there are two aspects of being a father. There's the biological, and then there's the relational or the emotional. You see, and when Jesus said he is our father, and being biologically responsible for the child, and as I said, he was responsible for everything in that child's life, whether the child ate or had a place to rest or sleep, had a place to learn, Whatever need the child had, the father was responsible for. Now put yourself in that situation. God, our father, is then responsible for every physical need that we have. Nothing is beyond his concern. If we need food, he can supply it. If we need money, he has an abundance of it. If we need a place to lay our head, he'll provide us a shelter. That's what Jesus was saying. We have a father who, like our earthly fathers, your earthly fathers, are responsible to meet these needs. So is your heavenly father. And if your earthly father doesn't care for you, go to your heavenly father. He'll take care of you. He'll supply the need that you have. Whatever need we have, God is capable of supplying. 
But there's more. There's the relationship need. And what Jesus was saying at that point and what they understood him to say was that fathers were to develop an emotional relationship with their children that reflected openness and honesty and trust and a willingness to be with the child in everything. In other words, if a child had a problem, he could go to his father. If he had a need, he could go to his father. If he had a worry, he could share it with his father. If he had any concern about the issues of life, the father was to have been there to meet that need, to be accepting, to be open, to be trusting, to be caring. There is no more graphic picture of this fact than when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember that scene? Jesus has been betrayed. He took some of his closest friends and he said, listen, I want you to come with me. And then he said, now I want you to stay here because I'm going to walk a little further and I need some privacy. And he walked off. And there he pled with his father. And he said, Dad, the word Jesus uses in that passage was table talk, like Dad. He said, if it's possible, Abba Father, can you take this cup from me? He said it three times. And he heard nothing from his father. Now the significance of that is simply this. If he didn't feel that his father was open and caring and loving and thoughtful and wanting the best for his son, Jesus would not have prayed that prayer. It would have been a mockery. If God had turned his back on Jesus, Jesus could not have prayed that prayer. But he prayed it three times. And then he got up and said, well, I guess this is where trust comes in, isn't it? He said, I haven't heard a response, but I know he's with me. And I know he'll protect me and I know he'll take care of me. And I've seen other people crucified and die on a cross. And I have walked before them and I have seen the horrors. But evidently, there's no other way. And I've gone to him with a heart that was open to his heart that was open. Do you see the marvelousness of that? My goodness, Jesus didn't want to die. He knew he came to die, but this elevates us to a complete another level. When he went to his dad and he said, is there any way out of this? And because of the relationship that he had with his father, he knew he could trust him. And so that says to me, and I hope it says to you, that there is nothing beyond God's concern. There is nothing beyond God's power. There is nothing beyond God's interest. There is nothing beyond God's willingness to hear. What a marvelous example of prayer is that. He saw his father as a person who was present and powerful and persuadable. And he went to him in prayer. 
Then it goes on in the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what that simply says is something like this. You know, we need someone whose character is far above ours. We need someone whose life is much more significant than ours. We need someone whose character is the same as their name. It is consistent. It will always be there. And so we can honor that name that is above every name. That's why Jesus used the word honored, hallowed be your name. We can worship you because of who you are. And then he goes on to say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I think there's a little bit of something in that passage of scripture we need to take careful attention to. You see, as Jesus was unfolding this model for us to follow in prayer, he says, yes, he is our father. Yes, we can go to everything with him in prayer. Yes, he is to be honored. But then there are some conditions. And he says, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And I truly believe that what Jesus was saying, that before you get to your needs, would you consider what you're doing about God's needs? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let me suggest this to you, if I may. So often we trouble ourselves with knowing the will of God. We cop out of doing so much for him by simply saying we do not know what his will is. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 21. I want you to hear these words as our obligation to God when we go to him in prayer. John wrote, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And then listen to this if you ever want to know the will of God for your life. Because he continued by saying, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You see, there is the present kingdom and there is the future kingdom. And we live in between the two of them. But as God has revealed in this passage of scripture, the ideal kingdom, he has entrusted us to begin building that kingdom on this earth. And when he said there will be no more tears nor crying, we could expand that and say there will be no more hunger, there will be no more homeless. And when we think of it in those terms, 
You see, we find an obligation that we have to God to do what he calls us to do, to build his kingdom on earth. And I truly believe that as I am working together with God to do his work, he will reveal to me the things I need to pray about. And that as he reveals those things to me, whatever they may be, I can take them to him in prayer. And I can say, Father, you love me, you gave yourself for me in your son, and I'm doing your work, and I have this need. I'm your disciple, you're my father, and I bring this need to you now, expecting you to hear it and to answer it, because I have your word that you will do simply that. Father, we limit you because we don't know you. And so often, Father, we come to the place in our lives where we struggle with prayer, with faith, with wondering what it is we need to do. And yet, your word tells us that when we knock, when we ask, and when we seek, you'll open up yourself to us. Helps to realize that you really are our Father, that you really do love us, that you really want to do what is best for us. May we give our lives back to you as you gave the life of your Son to us and for us. We pray in your name. Amen.